Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was eager to be back before you again. I, I just didn't know I'd be before you this much. Um, but that's what happens when technology fails us. So uh, we, we were ready for it. Um, but it, it is good to be back. And I, I know we've had an excellent, excellent month uh, focusing on missions. You've heard lots and lots of wonderful stories from all over the world. And that will continue into August when the Taylors get here. And, and they tell us about that work that's going on in Japan. So we anticipate that. It's hard to believe they've been gone for three years. And we want to... Um, you know, we want to welcome them and minister to them and be a blessing to them while they're here. And so I know that you'll do that. I, I want to take a little bit different um, approach to missions this morning as we begin to think about, again, our responsibility to that and what we can do. And I want to, I want to talk a little bit about this word kindness. And so when you, when you see kindness, when you, when you hear this word, I, I want you to just take just a moment and think to yourself, what comes to mind? What do you think about when you see this word kindness? You know, I think if we're honest, we, we, we probably don't immediately associate it with Christianity. And one of the reasons why we do this is we receive what, or, or we, we, we reserve what we um, think of as the big concepts. For Christianity. And so Christianity is love, Christianity is grace, Christianity is justice. I don't often hear people saying Christianity is kindness. I've never seen anyone put that on a t-shirt or I've never seen it on a bumper sticker. We associate other words with Christianity and kindness rarely comes to mind. And so what else do you think about when you see this word? Kindness. Maybe uh, society. What, what do you think about kindness in relation to society? You know, sometimes kindness is viewed in a negative light. We perceive it to be weakness. Those who are kind are ridiculed. They're made fun of. Remember this guy? He was the kind religious neighbor. He was also the butt of many of the jokes on The Simpsons. But kindness is not just something that's looked down upon in cartoons. It's also an element of the culture in which we live. The culture itself looks down upon kindness. And this is problematic if God wants us to be kind. Because kindness is not always seen as a virtue, and yet it might just be what God expects of us. And so what happens to a society that does not value kindness. Well, I would suggest that it looks very much like what we're living in today. When you think about the word kindness, maybe you thought about that this is something that is lacking in our society. This is something that is needed today. And I believe that's a fair assessment. It seems as if, if unkindness is growing and growing. And so how do we know? How do we know that we live in an unkind world? Well, this, maybe we can measure it by how many people refuse to return their shopping carts to the designated area. And, and if this is you, I expect you to come forward after this sermon and uh, well, you can ask for forgiveness. 
Kindness is often these small things that we do. And so, you know, putting your shopping cart up, let, letting a car in from the other lane who's trying to get over. I know it drives many of us nuts. Acknowledging and smiling at people rather than just staring at our phone. These are small things. But I also suggest to you that kindness is big things as well. It's how we speak to, another, to one another. It's how we treat one another. It's how we view one another. And so when we consider these bigger things, we can also la- uh, lament a, a lack of kindness in our world. Kindness is lacking in our politics. It's absent on the 24-hour news networks. It's foreign to groups who fight to cancel anyone who disagrees with them. It's missing on social media. It has disappeared from school board meetings and other places where we might experience a difference of ideas. And all of this begins to work its way down to you and me. And so it shows up in our neighborhoods. And we begin to be suspicious of that person who lives just next door. And we're unsure of those people who are starting to move in. And and we're listening to these voices and they're starting to take hold. Again, all of this is problematic if we claim to follow the one who says to us, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is where we're at. But you already know that because you're living it, you're seeing it, you're experiencing it. And so what are we to do? Well, let's begin with what Scripture says. And so I want to begin with two verses. There are many more than this, but I I believe these two adequately sum up how we should approach this topic of kindness. The first is found in the prophets. It's uh, Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. And so hear the word of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is a familiar passage to, to many of us. We, I think we like it because it asks a question, and then it answers that question. And so it's a passage that is very difficult to misunderstand. It's plain. It's simple to grasp what is being stated here in these few verses. It's also an important passage because of the questions that are being asked. With what shall I come before the Lord? And so when we come to meet God, what are we to bring? When we show up here on Sunday morning and and we come to be in the presence of God, gathered with all the saints, what is it that God is looking for? The other question is equally important. What does the Lord require? What is it that God wants from us? What is important 
to him. And the prophet, he begins to meditate on these questions. He ponders whether or not God is looking for some specific sacrifice. Is it a burnt offering? Is it a calf or a ram? Is it rivers of oil? Maybe it's my firstborn, my firstborn child. What is it that God wants? And he then answers the question. God has already said what he wants. He wants us to do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with him. Now this does not diminish the importance of worship or sacrifice. God still desires those things. But he's telling us what is of utmost importance. It is justice and kindness. It is following the ways of God in our everyday lives. If we're we're not doing these things, then all the worship in the world is meaningless. And so when we consider it, this passage may be a little surprising to us. I think that we understand the importance of justice. But what about kindness? And God says here that both are needed. God says that both are equally important. God says that he desires both. And so if we were to create a just world, but it was missing kindness then that world would be a failure in the eyes of God. Christianity is about living a balanced life. It is about living a whole life where we strive our best not to neglect any of the ways of God. Too often we can hone in on just one thing and be really good maybe at one thing, but then we uh, fail to notice that, that, that we're neglecting these other important matters. Uh, For instance, we can go all out for truth, and truth is really important. We can make sure that we know the truth, and we're promoting the truth, and we can be truth warriors. But Paul tells us that if we have truth, but we do not have love, then we've failed. He says we're to speak the truth in love. And so we need both. Micah informs us that kindness is essential for all followers of God. And so it's not an option. It's not unimportant. It's not something that we can just throw off to the side. It is what God desires. And so Micah is in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, let's go to another familiar passage, Galatians 5, 19 through 23 here. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so what's going on in this passage is that Paul is contrasting two ways of living. And he actually does this multiple times in his letters, but this is the most famous one. And this is not even unique to the writings of Paul. We find it throughout the Bible. Again, another famous passage, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so again, there are two paths. There are two ways of living. Which one are you going to choose? In Galatians, Paul describes these two ways as the way of the flesh or the works of the flesh and the, the way of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. And he then gives us details about them. He tells us what each way looks like. And so we don't have to guess. We know what God wants, just like in Micah. And so what is it? Well, he begins with love, joy, and peace. And I don't think those are surprising. Most of us would probably have guessed those. We, we find those on t-shirts. But then he begins to venture into less familiar territory. And he mentions patience. And he says that this is something that Christians are to be known for. And actually, this, this, uh, pa the patience has a very fascinating history. It was a virtue, an important virtue in the early church. And so the early church was surrounded by evil. They were living in the Roman Empire. They were being persecuted. The outlook was not good. You know, if you would have went up and asked anyone the first couple of centuries of, of the church how all of this was going to turn out, I think most people would have said, well, you know what? Rome's going to triumph. They're going to overcome this group of ragtag, nobody believers in Jesus. That's how it's always worked. That's how it's going to happen. That's the way it looked. But the early church practiced patience. And they prevailed. Now, patience does not seem like a powerful virtue. Uh, we don't think of it as a symbol of strength. But the early church's patience overcame the might of Rome. Next, Paul mentions kindness. So here it is again. If we want to live by the Holy Spirit, we need to be people who are kind. And we need to practice kindness in our lives. It's who we are supposed to be as followers of God. And it's sort of interesting when you look at this and you contrast it with the works of flesh. We are to reject anger, rivalries, strife. Reject all those things and instead choose kindness. And this is radical in our world. This is not what everyone else is doing. This is something different. It's the way of God. And so both Testaments, you've got the new and the old, both of them lift up kindness 
as an essential element of following God. And so we cannot dismiss this. It's true that kindness sometimes just falls through the cracks. We, we may overlook it because we're, we're lifting up love or we're lifting up grace or we're lifting up truth or we're lifting up justice or some other aspect of the Christian faith, but this should not be so. Kindness deserves a place right beside justice. It deserves as much attention as joy or peace. And so kindness is important to God and therefore, it should be important to us as well. And so before we go any further, we need to spend a little time talking about what kindness is and what it is not. I believe all of us have some idea of what it means to be kind. But I'd ask you, is this something that you've thought deeply about? Because if this is something that God desires... We need to give it more than just a passing thought. We need to consider what this looks like and, and what it requires of us. And I want to begin with a couple of quotes from a, a book entitled Love Kindness by Barry H. Corey, a very good book on the subject. First thing he says is that a life of kindness is a life with a firm center and soft edges. And so kindness is not weakness. It's not what the culture says it is. Being kind does not mean that we have to give up any of our beliefs. It does not mean that we have to compromise our principles. It's, it's not so much about what we believe. It's about our posture towards others. It's about how we interact with the people all around us, even those whom we disagree with, even those whom we would consider enemies. Here's a, another quote, a longer one. He says, uh, speaking of kindness, we devalue its power. When we think of kindness as pampering or random acts, kindness doesn't pamper, and it's not random. It's radical. It is brave and daring, fearless and courageous, and at times kindness is dangerous. It has more power to change people than we can imagine. It can break down seemingly impenetrable walls. It can reconcile relationships long thought irreparable. It can empower leaders and break stalemates. It can reconcile nations. Kindness, as Jesus lived it, is at the heart of peacemaking and has the muscle to move mountains. Have you ever associated words like fearless, courageous, or even dangerous with kindness? You know, what's he talking about here? How can kindness be these things? Well, let me give you one example. Consider this command found in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's radical. Not many have actually tried to live that out in their lives. There was one group who did, um, Martin Luther King Jr. and his followers. They were committed to this principle. How did they do it? Well, it didn't just happen. They didn't just show up one day and decide we're going to do this. They practiced it. They knew 
that they were going to be sprayed with fire hoses. They knew that dogs would be unleashed on them and that they might be beaten, as was the case on this bridge. What they did was they underwent training. Because you see, our natural response is to retaliate. But they trained themselves to practice the principles of Jesus and to turn the other cheek. And this is what Corey is talking about. We live in a world that is unkind. We live in a world that is cruel and harsh. And when people are unkind to us, our natural response is to be unkind in return. We want to give people what they deserve. But guess what? That's not how Jesus treated us. It's not what God wants us to do. And it's not the way of kindness. Corey is right. Kindness is radical. It's not always easy. But it's powerful. And it has the potential to change lives. This is the point of Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, where we're told there that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance. God's kindness is meant, is used to change lives. And so when we practice kindness, we're practicing something that can change the hearts and minds of the people around us. We're practicing something that can change the world. When we practice kindness, we should not expect kindness in return. This is part of our mission in this world. It's what Jesus was preparing us for. Think about it. Jesus offered the world love, grace, and salvation. And what did he get in return? They crucified him. Guess what? The world has not changed. And we see this in passages like 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are sojourners and exiles. We are not to be like the world around us. We are to offer a different way of living. We're to offer a better vision for the world. And when the world looks at us, we shouldn't give them what they're giving us. That They should see good deeds. They should see kindness, even though that's not what we're receiving from them. Why? So maybe, just maybe, some of the people around us will glorify God on the day of visitation. So that lives might be changed. We're not going to change lives if we give people what they deserve or what they expect. We change lives when we give people the unexpected. We change lives when we practice grace, which is often what kindness is. We treat be people better than they deserve. So why is kindness so important? Why does God want us to practice this radical way of living? There are several ways to answer this question, but I want to give you two here. And the first is this. We are in a battle 
for our souls. And being kind is good for the soul. So we need to consider what our actions and our choices are doing to our soul. Our culture says that we should hate our neighbors. Our culture says that anyone who does not think the way that we do, that is an enemy. Jesus says we're to love our neighbors. Jesus even says we're to love our enemies. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Now, he did not say this because he was a civil rights leader. He said this because he was a minister of the gospel, and he understood what was not good for his soul. Hatred corrupts the soul. We are to have the mind of Christ. That's what we're told in Philippians chapter 2. Guess what? Jesus did not come to die for his friends. He came and he died for his enemies. He laid down his life for those who opposed him. He loved those who were against him. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What Martin Luther King Jr. said about hatred, Jesus lived out. Dr. King was not saying anything new. He was just telling us, what was in his Bible. We live in an unkind world. And the voices that we're listening to, the things that we're paying attention to, what are they doing to us? Now, they may contain elements of truth. They may even be advocating for justice. But are they kind? Are they shaping us into the people that we ought to be? Are they helping to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Because this is something we need to consider. Every voice that calls itself good is not good. How is my soul? Ask yourself that. And not just this morning. Ask this on a regular basis. Ask yourself, is this habit that I'm, I'm regularly engaged in, is this habit good for my soul? Is what I am consuming good for my soul? Is what I'm listening to, is what I'm reading, is it good for my soul? Because these are essential questions. It does us no good to win all the battles or get everything right if in the process we end up losing our soul. It is problematic that Christians have overlooked kindness because it says something about how we are caring for our souls. Because kindness is good for us. We need it. It's medicine for our soul. And so don't neglect your soul. Why is kindness so important? second reason is because we're... We are in a battle for the souls of others. 
We've already noted how kindness has the potential to change lives, but we cannot emphasize this enough. How we do something is just as important as what we do. This is the reason why we are commanded to speak the truth in love. It's not enough just to speak the truth. How we speak it matters. We must do so in love. What is love? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is being kind. We need to speak in such a way that people will hear us. If they disagree with the message, that is on them. But if we do not present the message in a kind and loving way, that is on us. We need to understand that Jesus was appealing to outsiders. He dined with tax collectors and prostitutes. He was liked by sinners. This wasn't because he compromised his message. He didn't. It was because he was full of grace and love. And he was kind towards sinners. And he created this space that allowed them to hear his message and so they could consider their actions. Now, not everyone followed him but at least they had the opportunity. Our posture towards the world matters. Our mission is to seek and save the lost. Now, the world may disagree with our message, but they should never hate us because we're unloving or unkind. The early church won over pagans. Pagans! because of their kindness towards others. They saw how the church treated orphans and widows, not how they talked about it, how they treated them. The, the, these pagans were amazed by how the early church treated non-believers. Why would a Christian help a pagan? Why would they go out of their way to be kind to people who hated them and persecuted them. It did not make sense. It was radical. It was different. And the pagans could not stop talking about it. What are the people in LaGrange talking about? What are they seeing from the Christians in this community? This way, this way of Jesus is not easy. The results of it are not going to happen overnight. But we do have everything that we need to change the world. We have the gospel. We have the power of God. We have the love of Christ. And we have kindness. What will we do with all of this? 
Will we keep it to ourselves? Will we keep it in the walls of this church building? Or will we go out and be the people that God wants us to be? Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence, to worship you, to give you glory and honor. And Father, I I pray that we would be the people that you would have us to be. That we would come to this place and that we would be transformed in our hearts and our minds to be more like Jesus. So that we can go out into the world and we can practice your ways and we can make a difference and we can change the world. I pray that we would be a kind people. As many of us have already done, I pray that we would continue in this path and that if we have failed in any way, that we would recognize this in ourselves and we would seek to transform our lives to conform to the image of your son. We're so grateful for your son who was willing to even come to this earth to take on flesh, to live among us, and to die for his enemies. We pray this in his name. Amen.